Hello and welcome to Credit Shift News and Update. I'm Paul Sweeney, co-founder and chief strategy officer here at Webio, and I'm joined today by our CEO and co-founder, Cormac O'Neill. And today we will be exploring some of the recent stories, events, reports, and trends in the credit industry. So let's dive into some of the details. First, in general industry news. Well, the prices of everything continues to go up. Energy price cap increase from the UK energy regulator has been announced a 5% increase in the energy price cap, effective January 1st. The new price cap is set to £1,928 per year for average energy use. This news comes out around the same time that the national deadline data reveals that 28% of callers are behind on energy bills, translating to an estimated 6.4 million people in the UK struggling with energy debt. Equally, one in four people with overdue energy bills currently do not have the means to repay what they owe. So again, the energy affordability crisis continuing to mount. Household credit card repayments also under pressure. According to Compare the Market, 76% of households are using credit cards and are struggling with repayments in the past six months, primarily due to rising everyday expenses. Three in 10 households with children at home have also been lent or given money from their parents to help with bills in the past month. Cormac, this looks again, uh, just following this week in, week out, it just seems to be, you know, again, mounting pressure all around. Yeah, so look, Paul, I was going to say winter is coming, but winter is actually here because this morning is the first morning uh, when I get up to drop the kids off to school. The car was covered in frost. Um, so as we get into the 1st of November, uh, and obviously the heating has been turned on in the house to keep everybody uh, nice and warm. So yeah, look, at um, winter is well and truly here now, and we can see this in terms of um you know the numbers you just read out and there's going to be it's going to be some people struggling over the months ahead um i did see in ireland and i'm not sure what the government in the uk are doing but i got my email um over the weekend uh telling me that i'm going to get my energy credits a total of 450 euro i believe over the the next few months um which was great to see so that's from an irish point of view that is certainly going to uh, alleviate the pain and the struggle for some people out there in terms of their, their energy bills. I think the first one is is kicking in um, uh, is kicking in next month in December. Um, you know, just on the general the price increases and the general hardship increase in credit card. Look, at, we're into a time of year that's very challenging financially for households. Um, in the run up to Christmas, Christmas itself, uh, you know. It's obviously a great time of year and all the rest, but for a lot of families out there, it's an extremely stressful time of year. Um, trying to manage bills uh, in the run-up to Christmas, trying to manage bills over Christmas, you know, whether it's presents or, 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 or entertainment. So I'm not surprised the credit card balances are starting to, to go up. That's probably a seasonal thing as much as anything else. Um, but yeah, I think that's... Uh, that's to be expected, I guess. You know, I guess the, the inflation doesn't help, right? And, uh, and the, the increase in interest rates. It's it is interesting. Um, I mean, I know myself, having grown up in a house that found Christmas very difficult, 
uh, financially. Um, you know, simple things like Christmas dinner, buying a ham, buying a turkey, putting that on the table is a stretch for a lot of people and even not possible for, for a lot of other people. And, and so the figure that kind of, kind of made me think again was this, um, three in 10 households with children at home have been lent or given money from their parents to help with bills in the past month. And I know that many people get lent money by brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors to get through difficult times. And um, I don't know how much of that is also caught on, you know, income and expenditure uh, evaluations or how are you going to make it through this Christmas? And, you know, often it's, it's getting loans from people or just been given things from people that, that are, that know that you're going through a tough time. Yeah. And um, one of the other things that jumped out at me from, from the research around here was that only 37% of these households have taken action to save money, uh, which is an improvement over October 22, where 63% of these households had not tried to improve their finances. And by trying to improve finances, the researchers mean they've tried to cut back on spending. So 69% had tried to cut back on spending. 62% had used less energy. 59% had shopped around at cheaper supermarkets. So uh, more than four in 10 people had reduced spending on things like holidays and hobbies. And 26% switched providers where they could for household bills. So I think we'll see and are seeing people trying to, you know, reduce spending, get control of excesses, like, but like to call, you know, your, your annual holiday, uh, you know, an expense that that's something that not everyone's going to be able to afford. So I think Paul, just, just on the people looking to save money, I think the, 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 the media side of things deserves a small bit of credit here in terms of, I certainly see, um, much more information out there. Um, for people and for households about how they can save money, whether it's your son, the paper, whether it's on the the radio or TV, there's a lot more talk around how you can save money, uh, helpful tips and advice on what you can do. You know, whether it's shopping around for your utility bills, looking at your credit card um, terms and conditions, or switching. I, I just think there's a lot more information out there for people to take, to help them. Because uh, it can be, it can be daunting. Where, do I, Where do I start? You know, where do I start to reduce my, you know, and some tough decisions. So any little bit of help that can be out there, um, you know, I think that always is is a good thing, and probably feeding into some of those numbers that you said there, um, in terms of having a positive impact on people's um, inertia, so to speak. You know, so that's that's good to see. All right. So moving on. Uh- Onto our next section, regulatory changes and my perennial buy now, pay later usage reviews. Um, the FCA data collection proposal hit the news last week in that the FCA is considering requiring consumer credit companies to provide extensive customer data uh, and move that has raised concerns about privacy and data management. The data they are looking for includes date of birth, postcode, income and expenditure, as well as the size and nature of loans. The Credit Trade Association, or sorry, the Consumer Credit Trade Association, pointed out that there are over 120 million credit agreements in the UK, covering 40 million people, 
creating the potential for billions of data points being handed over to the regulator. So again, ongoing concerns about data sharing versus um, maybe coordination at the industry level as to what exactly is being lent to whom, etc. Yeah, I think too, just on this one, Paul, before you move on, um, again, it's more and more requirement being pushed on to companies and enterprises to be compliant and provide data. Like, it's it it feels like it's getting to an overkill point here in terms of you know what's being looked for and look at uh, for me there there is a lot of course you need regulation and the FCA you know does a very important job but the cost of running businesses it has has gotten higher and higher and continues to get higher and higher and and you know we got to look at the requirements that we're placing on enterprise, particularly SMEs, smaller uh, smaller companies that tr- are trying to operate in, in, in this financial services area. And like we're seeing those smaller ones simply go to the wall. They just aren't making the margins to, um, to be able to operate in this industry. And that's not a good thing because you're going to be left with uh, a, le- a lot less choice for consumers in the marketplace and, you know, uh, larger players with, with all the power. So, you know, I think we just need to be careful here in terms of the expense we're pushing on SMEs in particular when it comes to compliance. Well, that leads me into uh, our next topic here under changes in the market. Uh, be buy now, pay later misconceptions. Credit Spring research indicates uh, that a lack of awareness about buy now, pay later risks, especially among young users, is prevalent. Adobe data suggests significant buy now, pay later spending during the holiday season with concerns about low awareness of associated risks and late fees. Almost one in three people remain unaware that buy now, pay later is a form of borrowing, similar to using a credit card. Again, this is a significantly higher number for younger people, with four in 10 not being aware of the risks. Uh, recent figures from Adobe suggest that 3.7 billion will be spent via buy now, pay later through November and December, with total buy now, pay later spend across 2023 exceeding 17 billion. So I know Cormac, we always kind of believe that this would be the case, um, that people would take buy now, pay later um, offers and then they would become cumulative and then they'd lose control of them and then it would start hitting people's credit. And I think this is this is part of that, right? Yeah, look, let's be clear here. We love Buy Now, Pay Later to provide a very important um, type of credit in the marketplace, but I'm blown away by these, uh, to what you just read out there in terms of one in three people don't realise that Buy Now, Pay Later is a form of credit. Um, there's something wrong with our educational system here if we can't explain to our kids um, what a form of credit is and what a form of credit isn't because, you know, this is very, very clearly um, a, a, a form of credit. There's no no two ways about it. But look, we, we've, we've had this discussion before. It is the sheer ease at which you can access buy now, pay later. Um, that for me is just, you know, like if you offer a kid uh, who's browsing on? I don't, I'm trying to think. Sheen, right? Yeah. That's one of the popular. TikTok and Sheen right? would be um, where they live. Yeah, TikTok and Sheen, or I'm, you know, I, I'm not a Sheen uh, buyer myself. But look, if you make it so easy to buy when they get to the to the to the cart, when they get to the checkout, and they've got it 
you know, 20 items for, you know, four ninety nine each, whatever they happen to be. They're going to, they're going to go ahead and do it. Like, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's the sheer accessibility of the credit, which in my opinion is the, the area we got to, we got to challenge. Um, and that obviously we're, we're not educating our kids properly if they don't realize that getting something now without having to pay for it all now is a form of credit. Um, it feels good. It feels good to buy something and not have the pain of handing over money and you got the lovely thing and you didn't have the pain. And it's the uh, it's the next bit, Paul, yeah. right? So there is an adrenaline rush that happens here. Like when that parcel arrives at the door mm. and the doorbell rings and the ding and the box comes in and the excitement and you open the box and, you know, it's the whole thing here of, Ease of buying, the package arriving, opening the package. Oh, no, none of this stuff fits. Put it back <laughs> in the package, send it back. We're getting into a completely different discussion here now, but, um, you know, so. Well, there's a little a little twist on the end of this in, in that I found this number to be quite, I don't know how what you'd say, shocking. Nearly half of um, all people were still unaware that they could be referred to a debt collector for missing a buy now, pay later payment. Wow. Yeah. Right. So there's a disconnect here, people understanding. Yeah, there is a disconnect. Yeah. Um, There's an educational piece needs needs to be done here that's jumping off the page. You were um, commenting just there earlier, Cormac, about the focus on SMEs and the burden on SMEs. Mm -hmm. Well, during the week, uh, the UK government, the UK Chancellor, uh, released an autumn statement which had a focus on SMEs. And this, this was to highlight the effect of late payments on small, medium enterprises. And the government was announcing a new policy mandate for large companies bidding for government contracts that they have to demonstrate a record of paying their invoices within an average of 55 days. Um, you know, it, it it actually grabbed some attention, this, um, uh, this announcement. Um, I think it, it, you know, how this plays out in reality, I think is going to be interesting. Um, you might see companies balancing up how much government work they want to go for or will go for versus how much they push costs down the, the chain on, on smaller suppliers. But again, um, it's obviously hit the government's radar that late payments in SMEs are an issue and they need to do something about it. Yeah, I'd look, you know, um, no new shock there. Uh, late payments coming from larger organizations to smaller SMEs like ourselves, that has a knock-on effect for our ability or smaller SMEs to pay their suppliers. So, um, you know, this is, I'm going to say this is good news, but um, it all depends on what the terms of payment are, right? So if you've got a contract with a government body that says it's 30 days, well, why should it be 55 days um, if they are the terms of your agreement. I mean, there's no reason why a government body shouldn't pay you in terms of the agreement. So um, I don't, we don't deal with government contracts, so I'm not familiar with what the terms and conditions are. Maybe they're a lot more stringent or 90 days or whatever. Um, so obviously 55 is a good thing in that scenario. But um, yeah, okay, listen, it sounds like it's a good initiative on on face of it. So, Well, for me, what it's doing is it's signaling that the issue of late payments is starting to hit the radar as an issue that needs to be managed and things need to happen. And funny, six months ago, we started talking um, about the government 
the UK government looking for ways to help people find cheaper petrol. Remember, there was like local mm-hmm. areas yeah. where maybe it was more difficult and they had an app. They wanted to kind of create pressure for the market to work so that you could get the lower price petrol in your area. Yeah, And they were trying to get market interventions that could make that happen. This is another example of the government trying to force the market to to do certain things by using its power. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It, it's just, again, maybe a little sign that the government may take more and more action around things it sees as key levers in the market. And with the expense of money going up and the cost of, you know, the cost of borrowing, the cost of repayments, um, inflation, all these pressures at the same time, it, it just could be the straw that broke the camel's back um, for a lot of companies. Moving on to the next section, um, just two uh, quick items from the world of fintech. Um, Intuit's TurboTax will match customers to a virtual tax expert or to a local tax professional for their virtual or in-person tax preparation. It also plans to debut a new Gen AI innovation, which includes Spanish translation. Among the most promising use cases of AI, were found to be inside finance operations and accounting workflows. And what I also love about this is that matching of Gen AI to people. So some work done by an intelligent assistant, some done by people. But I think the really smart thing here from Intuit is kind of bringing these two things together and bringing maybe a community of service providers to their software. So their tax software, they bring the tax professionals, they bring people maybe who may not have sought tax advice before or didn't feel they could afford tax advice. And that now generates a whole new kind of area for them. So I thought that was super interesting as a kind of strategic uh, move by them. They also have decided into it to sunset their personal finance management tool, Mint stating that it will reimagine the tool as part of the Intuit Credit Karma offer. Commentators are speculating that in the context of a $7 billion acquisition of Credit Karma, that Mint was just too small at 3 million users and not strategic enough for them to worry about. So I think that what we see from these two pieces of news is that intelligent assistance will be important, that they'll open up new service propositions, but that maybe the opportunity will be within existing platforms um, and not as independent, uh, kind of retail-focused, consumer-focused services. Um, So that's just some, again, some emerging trends from the fintech industry that might be worth keeping an eye on. Mm, Interesting. Uh, From what I know of it, um, Mint was a a much-loved tool, was my understanding of it. I've never used it myself. Um, Yeah, so that's, yeah, 3 million users, clearly just not enough um, for it to be... um, to be continued to be developed. So that's the first I heard of that. So that's that's interesting. Um, so obviously it'll just be phased out and there'll be uh, no more mint, I guess. So we're down the line. Yeah, I think it, it might just sit within their platform. Like they just might bring it into a different place and allow it to play a different role. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not exist as a kind of own brand service anymore. Yeah. But again, interesting for people who 
are maybe looking at developing independent applications for, you know, in our business, Cormac, there are companies out there maybe providing apps for helping you manage your spend or yeah. apps for helping you manage your your bill pays, etc. The future for them is standalone services rather than that sitting within a bank or within a retail platform to help you manage your individual bills with them. It's again just a a trend I'm seeing is that the independent uh, applications are having a hard time out there. Sometimes that changes on a penny. A really popular new service evolves. Everyone goes to that, and that has a you know a three year, five year lifespan. And also, look, no surprise to see Gen AI being being used in in financial services, accounting arena, particularly in taxation. Um, you know, probably lends yeah. itself well to that. Um, uh, that side of things. Taxation is something that we all really look forward to doing once a year at the end of the year. I mean, it really is the highlight of most of our our 365 days of the year, isn't it? You know, we just cannot wait. It's right up there with like, you know, Santa Claus arriving, doing your tax. Um, we just love it. We just love it. You know, who doesn't love doing a good tax return? <laughs> it it just fills me with anxiety. Oh, I, I remember like, doing it as an independent and it's like you you do up your numbers, you hope you get them yeah. right, you really worry that you're getting them right and then then you've got to find the money to pay it and hopefully you've been putting that money away and you've got it in this, another account and then you, you pay it over and um, I, I remember one year paying the, the tax over in a, in a check and uh, the person on the other side of the desk, big smile on her face, said, doesn't that make you feel better now? I said, no, no it doesn't. <laughs> going to make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't. Oh, man. It, 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 was the price, it was the price of a car to me, yeah. like it was that yeah. big at the time. So, uh, no, I handed over an Audi. That was it. Yeah, it's certainly. Uh, anyway, listen, anything that can make that one day of the year that little bit better, we're, <laughs> we're, all, For sure. we're all behind. We're all behind. But I, I do think, though, that what you're seeing is, um, and no, 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 uh, I don't want to give away anything that Webio is doing, but the ability to do forms and to fill out forms and have confidence in what you're doing and be assured that you're doing the right things um, and to make it as easy as possible for you. That, that for me, I know, is a very emotionally stressful job at times and anything that can make that just feel a little friendlier and that you're, you're, you're getting yeah. there, you're going to complete it, it it's all going to work out. I, I think any service that helps you do that is, um, is worthwhile. Okay. Moving on to the final part here, we'll try and get through this as quickly as possible. We always try and bring you some reports that we've come across during the week. It's very difficult, I know, to make the time in your day to find the reports, read the reports and figure out which ones might be worth reading. So this week, there's two reports in our agenda, the Future of Payments Review and the Accounts Payable and Receivable Automation Report by American Express. So first, the Future of Payments Review, commissioned by the UK government, highlights several key areas in the evolving payment landscape. The first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is just inclusion, especially for the elderly. The report emphasises the need for inclusive payment options that care for the elderly, especially those over 75. So this demographic often prefers cash transactions and may not have bank accounts. The report suggests cash-based payment options, so providing card payment solutions 
that don't necessarily require a bank account is an option there. And request to pay frameworks, um, enhancing the adoption of the request to pay process launched in 2020 to allow flexible payment arrangements. This could be particularly beneficial given the current cost of living pressures. So again, cash for the elderly, they like paying that way, maybe cards that they can use but aren't bank accounts, and flexible payment options like like a standard negotiation between two people that want to say, will you take 20 today and 30 next Friday? Um, you know, just being flexible um, means a lot in terms of inclusion. And so I wanted to draw that that point out there. Yeah. Big second one, particularly Paul, in, in our industry is a uh, is is a big thing in terms of flexible payments. Uh, you know, we have a, a theory here that all payment terms should be variable and and flexible as opposed to fixed, um, and should be based on what you can afford to spend on a month to month basis. Um, and that changes. I know myself, what I have disposable income at the end of the month is never, ever the same, whether it's December, mm. May, October, it's always flexible. And if, if there was, um, you know, some form of a flexible arrangement whereby maybe I pay more in, in kind of like, you know, March, April, May time and, and less in September or October, November, December, whatever it is, um, you know, that would work better for me uh, instead of having, you know, fixed payments throughout the year. So I think that's, Good to see that one being spoken about. No, absolutely. And I know that um, we're still waiting on the kind of variable dynamic payments frameworks from the uh, open banking particularly to come forward, which just leads us to the, the next point. From the report, they really focus on consumer protection in open banking as an issue. There is a noted concern regarding the lack of purchase protection or dispute resolution in payments made via open banking. While the Payment Services Directive and new APP fraud rules offer some consumer protection, there's a gap in the open banking environment. The report likens this to launching a Tesla without a seatbelt. It suggests a need for clearer and simplified consumer protection standards in open banking to avoid potential misuse of APP fraud rules. Um, I, I think we've drawn some attention to that with our conversations on open banking and embedded finance. But I think that, again, it's just making the point that if, if you've got an instant payment, you've paid that or you've paid it to an account you thought was a real account and it turns out to be a fraud, you've got poor um, protection in, in in open banking. Um, they're going to have to do something about that, obviously. Yeah, that's um, a good if it's point. In, if it's in the report, I'm sure it's going to make its way into uh, some future legislation. The moving on to the uh, accounts payable and receivables automation report by American Express and also published by Payments Intelligence. This report focuses on the journey towards automation and accounts payable and accounts receivable. The key findings include that the benefits of full automation um, are pretty significant, such as streamlined processes, enhanced accuracy and enhanced efficiency. There are financial gains. A substantial 84% of fully automated firms report increased savings, improves cash flow and growth. So it does work. But there are varied expectations. So expectations from automation vary, with 31% of mid-sized firms anticipating that it will generate improved cash flow. 
but there is also a hesitation to adopt. Um, despite these benefits, many firms remain hesitant to fully automate due to concerns about security and then the costs associated with adoption and implementation. So I think these reports collectively underscore the importance of inclusive payment solutions, the need for enhanced consumer protection in the rapidly evolving digital payments landscape, and the significant benefits as well as challenges associated with the automation of financial processes. So people may be not fully confident that they'll see the benefits or that the cost up front won't see uh, the benefits come through fast enough. Um, I think one of the points that I'd like to raise from this today is that there are like there's a lot of information out there now about how to digitize, what to digitize. But I think the pathway to digitization is the challenge for people. It's like, I know there's benefits. I know I can get there. But, you know, spending money today to get the near-term benefits or the mid-term benefits, I, I can't afford to wait long time for benefits to come through. I've got to have benefits immediately and I've got to have a certain degree of confidence that those benefits are going to come through. And I, I feel for that. I think that's a real, real challenge for everybody. Are you seeing anything like that with our customers, Cormac? Well, if uh, I'll, I'll talk about ourselves for a second here now in terms of um, automation of accounts payable and accounts receivable. It all depends on what exactly we mean here by, by automation, full automation. So if I look at ourselves, um, so we use a certain type of um, accountancy package, won't give um, any free advertisement to them, but companies that, unlike that report that give Tesla a shout out, um, uh, any other companies that are using the same accountancy package and are sending us a, a bill or an invoice, um, it can automatically be imported into our platform, into our accounts package. And, you know, that's automation. That's, that's, that's a form of automation. And I'm all good with that. And if I, if I send out a, 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 an invoice to, to a customer and they have the same package, they can do likewise. So we're talking about automation. Um, I think what you're going to see, and there's not much expense in that, right? That's not, we just happen to be using the same currency package and that's that's really straightforward enough. And I'm sure there's probably ways it can happen with, across different type of financial platforms or financial packages. I guess we are going to see a little bit of kind of like, I'm not sure if I want to go fully automation is where, well, and this, re this goes back into the previous discussion around on-time payments. So does this mean that if I'm fully automated accounts receivable, accounts payable, I'm paying all my bills on time? Mm. Um, as in per the terms and conditions, and I'm getting paid on time, as in my terms and conditions. Um, that should be all good if, 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 if both of those happen to be true. But if one is true and the other isn't, um, there, you're not going to get much adoption of that full automation in terms of the full payment cycle. So um, that's what I'd be thinking of when I'm looking at that. Look, at the, 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 the benefits should be fairly you know, straightforward. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket science to figure out the benefits of automating both sides of uh, accounts payable and accounts receivable. Um, I, but I can understand why companies will be reluctant to to, to go full automation um, when you get into the actual transaction of cash in, cash out. So that's my that's my thought on that. Sorry, was there another question? Sorry, I was no, just no, no. The, the, the question really, what I would just say is, look, they're two interesting reports. Um, there's nuggets of information, and they're nuggets of uh, 
like hints and clues as to what the market is looking at and, and what you might want to put on your strategic radar or your business planning. And just kind of be au fait with that these things are trends, the adoption trends, the speed yeah. at which certain technologies are getting adopted and, and what that might trickle down to you as a practitioner. Yeah, definitely the, the the point around open banking and a lack of protection is is one I haven't considered, uh, but certainly that's something that I can see being a barrier to adoption on open banking. Um, you know, when we are looking at our payment side of, of what we do, definitely I believe there's a lot of potential for open banking, um, you know, to reduce fees and just to make everything remove friction from the process. But I can certainly understand where you would need to have um, some form of protection in there for any type of fraudulent activity, and just to give consumers confidence that they're they're covered. Uh, you know, we've mentioned this ourselves on on this podcast and numerous times when we're talking about open banking. Is we need to do a better job in convincing consumers to engage with open banking. You know, what's in it for them? It's easy to see what's in open banking for enterprises and companies, but. You know, consumers need to be educated as to why would they engage in open banking. So that's a really similar problem to the early days of mobile apps. Um, in that, in the early days of mobile apps, you had to figure out why, what's in it for the consumer to download the yeah. app, and really, what drove that was that the the mobility, being mobile, had to be a significant part of the overall service experience. Like if you have a mobile app for figuring out where the next bus is coming from or to be able to pull up a car like an Uber based on your location, then that app was a very, very strong proposition. Um, it, so the ability to, to be able to either be mobile or the ability to execute decisions in real time, like I need to be able to execute a decision in real time for uh for benefit then then also timeliness had a part in it and i think maybe the the benefits of the open banking to the consumer haven't been as strong but they also haven't been redesigned to take advantage of mm -hmm. the core capabilities of the open banking that couldn't be provided any other way so i think like this automated back and flow with the variable payments where the terms on both sides have flexibilities um, you know, that's something that seems to me to be a kind of new type of of offer. Like if my wallet can connect to your wallet, we can organize these payments to happen. That's a new form of of coordination between us. <clears throat> so I think there's something in it, but um, we follow that as closely as we can. And we'll continue to bring you any reports or updates that we see from that. Um. Cormac, thanks again for going through uh, the, the weekly news. It's always a pleasure. You're very welcome, Paul. Hey, listen, love being here. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's always good just to have a chat and understand that we're all people in the real world. We all have our own households to manage. We all have our own businesses to manage. We're all part of the uh, general ecosystem. So what I would say to everyone who's uh, listening is we have links to all these stories and reports in the show notes. So please do follow on their resource there for you. We will also be making an announcement over the next small while um, around the next exciting interviewee for Credit Shift. So keep your eyes peeled on that. Meanwhile, why not visit 
www.webio.com and see what we're up to in the world of digital services, customer service automation, particularly for credit and collections. 